Ryan Holtz is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Ryan Holtz Show Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Rhino Show Podcast. Oh, I have a great guest. Before I get into her bio, uh, first of all, she's amazing. Super stoked to have her. I think she brings a lot of flavor to her industry and probably anything that she possibly probably puts her hands on in life. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Rhino's Marketing, a creative and digital marketing agency that provides web design, social media ad campaigns, along with sales staff, personal branding, marketing training, etc., etc. Uh, my next guest goes by the name of Jordana Goldlist. I feel like this last name is very, very executive, very, very classy. Uh, Jordana is a criminal defense lawyer, business owner, public speaker, and youth mentor, a former homeless high school dropout. Jordana aims to teach youth how to use their struggles to their advantage by recognizing transferable skills. She also aims to show the ways in which the justice system is a trap designed to keep people stuck. Jordana uses her own uh, journey from street kid to criminal lawyer to explain her views on the system in her TEDx talk, Who Judges the Judge, which is available on YouTube, Google it, or jhgcriminallaw.com. Welcome to the show, Jordana. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I want to start with one quote. Our man Nipsey Hussle passed away. Bless his soul. Super sad. Very sad news. Uh, His favorite quote I love, it says, The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable ones persist in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man and women. What do you think of that? What does that mean to you? It, It means that you can't be comfortable accepting the way society is if you're ever going to forge ahead with change. Mm. Um, As we know, he was an individual who really tried to teach youth how to come out of their situation. He brought himself out of that situation. Mm. You know, the stories that have come up through social media following his death have been phenomenal and they've just showed a man with such great character. And so part of his teachings and certainly what comes out of that particular quote is that you have to just stick with your own sense of self. And if you know that there is some injustice or some wrong or a better way that will help people become better people and live a better life, uh, you have to stick with that instead of just, you know, sort of following the herd. So you come from humble beginnings. Are you are you married? Do you have kids or anything, Jordana? No, I'm not. I'm in a relationship, uh, but not married and no children. Okay. By choice. You, oh, by choice. Uh-oh. <laughs> Is that is that a, is that is that a very specific choice, or is it a matter of health, or is it a matter of you're just in a place in your life that you really want to have your focus dialed into to what you're doing, or all of the above, or none of the above? Uh, no, none of the above. I never, I never wanted children. Uh, growing up, when I was a little girl, and everyone wanted to get married and have kids and have that white picket fence, it was never something that I aspired to have. Um, and I've always just wanted a career. I've wanted freedom. I've wanted to travel. Um, in some ways I live a very selfish life and in some ways it's selfless. So everything that I've tried to do to make myself a success has been with the intention of going back and helping kids come out of, you know, their own struggle and be almost an example for those people because I didn't have those examples when I was trying to come out of that situation. And so for me, being that successful meant being focused on me and my career. 
Um, and I, I never really wanted children. And so I've, I've focused on career and, uh, and travel. I've got phenomenal friends, good family. Good for you. Yeah. Now, yeah. what I want to know, because I think it's interesting. So you're somebody who, when I think of a criminal defense lawyer, and I think there's lots of stereotypes about it, um, you're, you're so different. You know, you got your tattoos and you like your funky style and you're sitting in your Fendi sweater, you know, talking into your phone hands free. Uh, you like your hip hop vibes. If we go to your Instagram, you're going to see Tupac and Biggie. And how does this whole cosmopolitan of, of just you kind of take shape? Have you always known who you are? Is this something that is taking years to discover who you are? You mentioned selfless. You mentioned selfish. Um, I mean, just how how have you kind of encapsulated who Jordana really is? And I, I think it's you're just so diverse. It's it's very appealing, but also could be confusing in a, in a sense. So it's funny. I, I just refused to lose those parts of me while I was in law and going to be a law student and then a lawyer. I just refused to lose my love of hip hop that I've had since I was, you know, an eight year old kid that was hanging out on the basketball courts. Back when you know NWA and EZ were on cassette tapes, I, I know I, I know I just dated myself, but that's you know that's what I grew up hearing, that's what I grew up listening to. You know, social justice was something that I originally learned through Public Enemy and the music that was coming out through that generation, and so I refused to give that up, and I refused to give up that side of me. I've been tattooing myself since I was 16, and I wasn't going to stop just because I was in law school or a lawyer. Uh, now, I didn't have a full sleeve until I felt like I was successful enough to allow some of that to show through. I was always cautious of needing to be able to look the part and be able to be that professional. And as I've gotten further and further in my career, and I guess more comfortable with myself and knowing that I have secured a, a reputation within the legal community that I feel I'm comfortable with now that I'm more public about those other aspects of my personality, but I mean, that's stuff that I've carried with me since I was a youth, right? I've mm. always loved cars. You know, I still have this love of fast cars and, mm. you know, I've always loved like, the brands have changed over the years, but I've always been a bit of a label whore in the sense of I like my brands. And so <laughs> that I've maintained. So you're gonna see me in a Fendi hoodie because that's that's what I love, but I've been wearing hoodies since I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And if I gotta go to the grocery store now at late at night, that's what I'm putting on. I'm putting on joggers and a hoodie and, and that's just who I am. Uh, and I've refused to let that side of me fall to the wayside, despite the fact that I've been very serious about my career and being a business owner and wanting to give back to the community. And so I've managed to find a way to keep those aspects of my personality, even though I've transformed my personality and transformed my life along the years. You're tough, eh? You're very tough. I've been trying to everybody listening to the show right now. I've been I've been trying to text her and kind of kind of kind of inch away at this little brick and maybe you know put a, <laughs> put a nail in there with the hammer a bit and just trying to get a sense of who who you are, you know. And because I, I don't really let social media dictate who somebody is for me because I'm like okay, like right. whatever you post. I mean, there's other aspects of your life. Like I, you know, for you don't for post sure. any you don't post anything about your significant other on your Instagram or or anything like no. that. And it's interesting how people are. People nowadays are extremely guarded to to really protect who they are deep down inside. You mentioned with the fact that hey, I wasn't really comfortable showing my sleeve tattoo um, or or some of these you know background things that you had until you felt that you had a great base and a little bit of respect there. Do you feel deep down that's a smart move to do? Do you feel it's a it's a little bit of a 
Is it an insecure thing on your part because you felt like, mm, I don't want anybody to think a certain way? I know everybody says perception is reality. I mean, a lot of people are going through a lot of issues right now where they're like, you know, I'm playing a whole role that's not even me. People, you know, I mean, more than half of people out there right now are working in a job they can't stand. They hate it. It's literally <laughs> that, that. That's the truth. You know, it's it, it's it's a, it's a paycheck to paycheck of hell. And, you know, they're so scared to really, you know, for lack of, you know, better words, roll up the sleeve, show your tattoos and say, this is who I am, which shouldn't really take any credibility from your skill set or your, your knowledge. How does that play for you? And how does the strategy work for you if you were to go back and kind of fast forward to where you are now? So, I mean, when I was in law school, I, I was really turning my whole life around. Right. I was going from a lifestyle where everyone around me was involved in crime, involved in the streets. Uh, I had to make like my first year of my first semester of law school was I had to do a complete 180 in order to figure out where I was going. And I was lost. Like socially, I was completely lost within myself. I was lost. I didn't know that I wanted to be able to conform to this, you know, these super elite private school educated kids around me. I didn't think I could compete. I didn't think I was in their league. I didn't think that I could be successful within this profession. It was very conservative. Everyone around me was very conservative. And I don't mean politically, I mean just in terms of the way they've held themselves. Mm. And I felt that I needed to find a way to fit into that sort of mold, even though it wasn't necessarily my personality. So I sort of had the split personality. I had mm. the, you know, Jordana Goldless that was the law school student and kept to herself and sort of went through doing what I had to do and I treated it as a means to an end. I know I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to practice law, but I just wanted to get through it. And then there was the other side of me that would leave class and I would spend two hours at the gym because I was a bodybuilder back then. And I wanted to, you know, go to car shows and just hang out and, and do the things that I enjoyed and, and go to hip hop concerts and, you know, go out to house clubs. And so I was really leading like two separate lives that I guess only in the last few years have converged. The law profession is still quite conservative, but it's changing. Mm. You know, it's it's opened its doors, uh, certainly to different genders, to different race. Um, it's no longer such a homophobic environment. Uh, diversity has become a very hot subject within law. And there's this pressing need to be more diverse, which of course is, is us heading in the right direction. And it's mm. the way that we ought to be. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily so acceptable 10 years ago. And so I didn't want to have, you know, the remnants of a sleeve poking out of my of my mm. suit jacket mm. um, because I judges and other lawyers around me didn't know what I was capable of in the courtroom. I didn't have such a phenomenal client base that knew I was going to fight for them tooth and nail that I wasn't just, you know, mm. going to dump truck them at the end of the day. And it was important for me to build that reputation and a solid reputation in law only based on the work I was going to do. And I didn't want to do a disservice to my clients if a judge, you know, caught the remnants of a full sleeve and was going to judge me poorly and therefore judge my client poorly. So I was really cautious about appearing conservative and keeping my private life very quiet. Um, I wasn't big on social media at all, at least for the first few years. And it's, it's probably only been in the last year or two that I've allowed my personality to come out more in my posts. So that's where you're seeing the hip hop and, you know, boxing matches, driving Lamborghinis when I'm in Miami just because it's fun and I can't. And so that's only something that's come out recently. 
I thought I was going to be doing a disservice to my career if I was going to be that public. It's actually had uh, an, uh, the, diff- the opposite effect. Of course. Um, it's been amazing how receptive my clients have been, not only to the way that I live my life today, but also being honest about what my life used to be mm. and making that transition. And I find more and more my clients' families are coming to me and they're appreciative of the fact that there's some hope for their kid to come out of that lifestyle. Mm. And it's, for me, you know, really what I wanted to be able to do with this success. You know, the money and all that shit, it's fine, but you got to do something more than that, right? At the end of the day, there's only so much you can buy and only so many things you can do. But to be able to have a parent come up to me and say, listen, my kid's been struggling with, you know, this drug addiction for five years. I thought we lost him completely. I had no hope. I didn't think he'd ever make it out. But, you know, hearing your story, listening to your TED talk, you know, if, if you can come from nothing to where you are today with this fantastic career, uh, I do have that hope. I have that faith. And that for me is more meaningful than anything. And and that's what has sort of given me the momentum to keep doing these things and talking, you know, on these podcasts so openly. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it, it's relatable. I mean, it's relatable. It's, you know, you should have a podcast one day too, because it's, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't make any money from my podcast. I, I own a marketing agency. So somebody might say, right. well, why? And I'm a DJ and MC and all this stuff, but you know, people would say, well, why do you have a podcast? And the podcast is a way to really broadcast and really, I mean, I've talked to some amazing people, you know, through the podcast and really wrapped everything in. However, for you, if you were somebody that didn't show your true colors, I would have no interest in talking to you because I would just think you're just a, you're just a defense lawyer. You're, I don't, I mean, I've never really had much interaction with the defense. I'm hoping I never have to have too much interaction. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you've made it you know, this far. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, well, I mean, but you know, things happen. We all have, you know, certain things sets, sets us off for me. I, you know, I always have a push button, which will always be my family. And there's, for there's sure. no depth. I would never go. So, you know, I, you know, I would rather be judged by, I don't know, 12 than buried by six to some right? degree. So I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, my life savings is going to go to Jordana now because I'm, I need to, uh, I need to have more time on the outside so I can go make more money. But that being said, with everything, you now in the last few years are coming into your own brand, and you know, the fact that you're coming out and talking about your story ultimately makes you more relatable, which ultimately makes you more marketable, which ultimately is probably going to help your business out. And it's funny that we kind of hide behind what we think is going to, you know, be acceptable. But the only way we're really going to grow is when we kind of come out. Because it's funny, because you, you, you can only play your act for so long until you're like, okay, everybody, like, I really got to tell you, I don't like country music. I like Tupac. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I like playing pool. I like my pool table. For you, do you feel that your industry is full of just people that are, you know, somewhat enabled, you know, came from great families, you know, dad was lawyer, mom was lawyer, cousins, uncles, or do you see a lot of your story? Has has your story compelled some of your peers and colleagues to say, hey, Jordana, like we, we got some similarities. I would have never thought of that. Have you found that? Or is people very, you know, hush, hush? I have. I have had people, other lawyers, and especially younger lawyers that have stopped me in court and thanked me for being so open 
because they have a similar story and they felt like they were the only ones. You know, they felt the same way that I did because mm. none of us were talking about what we were each going through. And so they've literally stopped me in court and said, listen, thank you. You know, it's so nice to know there's someone else who didn't come from that privileged upbringing. And I think there's more stories that we've all hidden, right? I think that there's more of us than certainly those that have come up for me. Um, is there, you know, that privilege hierarchy? Of course, it's still it's a law. <laughs> like law will always be, in a sense, you know, uh, close to the privilege, especially given you know the cost of tuition right now. I don't know what it's like in, in your province, but Ontario. I mean, tuition's through the roof, and people mm. are complaining that it's just not accessible anymore mm. to anyone who doesn't have you know two hundred thousand dollars sitting around to pay for law school. Mm. So, which is unfortunate. I think it's doing a disservice not only to the profession but to society at large. Mm. Um, but it's nice to know that I've sort of opened that door for some people to have a conversation that they ordinarily weren't prepared to do. Interesting. Do you think that, I guess, you know, the cost of entry into law school, that's one thing, but kind of fast forwarding for you, moralistically, how did you, are you somebody that's always been in favor of the underdog? Is this why you went over into defense rather than prosecution? Like how did, how did you get over there? How did that, how did that how does that work? Where's that Where's that moral divide for you? So by the time I got to law school, I had spent most of my life living like a criminal. I yes. could not imagine now prosecuting people who were doing the same things that I had done to get by. I just couldn't. I couldn't. Within me, it was never even a thought. It has never been a thought. Um, it's an important role to play within the system. So I'm, I'm not at all uh, trying to demean the role of prosecutors. Just for me, I, I couldn't switch from having spent, you know, 10 years living the life of a criminal and being surrounded by criminals to now trying to put criminals in jail. I just, I couldn't. Um, have I always fought for the underdog? Yes. I, I actually have intervened when I've seen police on the street trying to illegally detain people. Uh, even as a law student, I remember you know coming out of a bar and there were two cops that were roughing up uh, a kid that was just panhandling on the street, and I jumped in. I was like, no, I can't. I can't let this happen. Uh, when I was you know a kid in school, I was always part of the popular group, but I hated seeing people get bullied, and so I would jump in and intervene with that. I've I've never tolerated uh, someone who's already an underdog to be further put down for someone else to big up their ego. I, that doesn't work for me at all. When it comes to my career, um, I love being able to add that sort of balance to the scales, right? We have the scales of justice that are so in favor of the prosecutor, that are so in favor of the system. And I talk about the system being designed to keep people stuck and it's designed to keep the most vulnerable in society stuck. You know, it's aimed at keeping people who are suffering from poverty and mental health issues and, and substance abuse issues in this revolving door. And by the time they're ready to leave, they've got a criminal record that won't allow them to move forward. Mm. And it's something that I, I really try to help my clients understand so that at least if they're deciding to make that choice to commit a criminal further offense, they're doing it with an understanding of this might be the time that I, it doesn't allow me to get out, right? And, and a lot of people don't understand that it's a trap until they're already stuck inside of it. Is there, now, 
I mean, the average citizen out there probably doesn't know, I don't know, they probably don't even know 1% of their rights if you really were to talk to them. No, they don't. For people that don't want to go to law school and become a lawyer, but they just want to be more informed, which I think education is power. Is there resources out there you feel that somebody could go and spend some time and read to really understand that, you know, when a police officer is pulling you over, you know, what their rights are, what that should look like? It's even funny, like a few years ago, I I have a lot of, I have some friends who are cops and they said, you know, Ryan, if you get pulled over, always ask the police officer if they calibrated their gun, if they're giving you a speed ticket. Because if they didn't calibrate the gun when you came up, this ticket's garbage. And I've been pulled right. over three times since then. And twice when I asked the question, they didn't even write the ticket. Because the guy's right. like, what do you mean? I'm like, did you calibrate your gun? He's like, yeah, I'm just going to give you a warning. Because he didn't <laughs> calibrate his gun, which wouldn't even give right. it a proper speed re- reading, right? That's just right. a minor thing that I kind of thought about. And I'm like, how, how much are, are some of these people trying to really pull the wool over your eyes? And is it true that you should remain silent if you are accused. Like what is, for people listening, if they do get caught up or something happens out of nowhere, what is, what's your advice to them up front? So that by the time you come in there, you kind of have a fighting chance to, to give them a defense. Well, as soon as the police stop someone, they should be asking whether or not they're detained. Because if you're not detained and you're not being arrested, you have the absolute right to walk away, drive away, bike away, whatever you're doing, whatever prevents mm. you from leaving. The police cannot keep you there. The police can ask whatever questions they want. You are under no obligation to ever answer a question by the police. Um, The only exception is if you're the driver of a vehicle and you're being pulled over for an HTA stop, a Highway Traffic Act offense, then you have to provide your name and you have to provide your driver's license and insurance. So those are things that are are mandated. Um, I always tell people, I have clients that call me as soon as the police pull them over, they're on their cell phone and I say, ask them if you're detained. And if you're not detained, you're gonna drive away. As soon as you're detained, you're automatically required to have your rights read to you, which is you have the right to speak to a lawyer, can't afford one, we'll call legal aid for you. And you're also cautioned, and you're cautioned that anything you say may be used against you in court. Those those cautions and those rights are not read unless you're being detained or unless you're being arrested. So those are sort of the, the initial reactions. Uh, police are not allowed to search vehicles unless they have a warrant. I have a lot of clients that get stopped and the police claim to smell marijuana and that they think that gives them a right to be in the trunk. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're finding, you know, things in the trunk that they weren't even supposed to be viewing in any event. Um, you know, there's no one set of rules or principles. Everything is sort of dictated by the circumstances. Sure. Uh, but I always tell people that the best thing you can do is be polite. Police never respond well if you're going to get aggressive with them. That gives them reason to be concerned. So you stay calm. You be polite. Sir, are you arresting me? No. Are you detaining me? No. Okay, sir, I'm going to drive away now then. Are you detaining me? Yes. Okay, so I have a right to speak to a lawyer. I'd like to exercise that right right now. And and you calmly exercise your own rights. Now the police know that they're dealing with someone who knows what their rights are, and they're going to be more cautious about making sure they're following them. Mm, Interesting. Now, for you being a criminal defense lawyer, have you ever been threatened by a client? Have you ever had any any bad issues? Is it, you know, are you, has, uh, you know, is it, is it, I don't even know. I mean, have you, yeah, have you ever been threatened by a client? Have you ever had some issues where you're like, oh my God, this is, this is a, a tough situation to be in. I just think because you're dealing in so many, I mean, your world, I'm looking at your eyes right now and you're giggling. I don't know what you're looking at, but you're looking at something giggling. And, it, you know, it's it's just kind of like, what are some of the things, 
I, I yeah, no. It's have you ever been threatened by a client? If, is there things where it got a little deep where you're just like, oh, that's tough? No, my clients have been phenomenal with me, primarily because for a lot of them, and I guess because of the nature of the clients that I represent, I'm often the only person that's ever been on their side and fought for them. Mm. As sad as that sounds. True. You know, I've had a lot of clients that have said to me they've had no one in their life on their side and fighting for them the way that I have. And so even if things don't go their way, they know they've gotten a battle out of me. Like there's no question, there's no issue that I I won't touch. There's only there's I'm never scared to make an argument. Uh, if there's a, you know a, lo- a legal argument to be made that falls on the evidence, I'm not going to make frivolous arguments. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste the judge's time. You know, judges get pissed off when you're throwing out arguments that aren't in accordance with you know rules of evidence or, or legal procedure. And so I'm cautious to make sure that I'm not you know, making frivolous arguments, but that my clients are, are well represented at every opportunity. And so I've never had an issue. And, I, you know, I laugh because it's the exact opposite. I drive some of the court staff crazy. Uh, when, when I'm in murder trials, if I've got to speak to my client or there's something intense that's going on, I'll actually sit beside them inside the prisoner's box to have a conversation shoulder to shoulder. And I've done that with people with horrific criminal records, some that have killed people before, like convictions for manslaughter, convictions for serious, serious aggravated assaults. And I've, I've never once worried about my own safety. I always feel like I treat my clients with a level of respect that they can depend on. And I get that level of respect back. You know, even when they're frustrated with the process, it doesn't mean they don't get upset and frustrated and angry. And, and I say to them, that's fair. You know, if I was in your shoes, I'd probably be frustrated by this situation right now, but we have to figure out a way to deal with it. And when you speak to them like people, which they are, uh, you get that respect treated back to you in turn. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I've never felt threatened uh, by any of my clients, despite how angry and violent some of them truly are. <laughs> I've heard it. It's true. I mean, I've, yeah. that's most of my practice is serious violence offenses. Uh, you know, 75% of my practice right now is homicides and the other 25% is guns and drugs. So, you know, I'm not dealing with people just charged with impaired driving and, you know, minor domestics. It's, these are serious guys. Uh, but you treat them with respect. You treat them as though they're intelligent because they are. Some of my clients have phenomenal memories. I give them the disclosure to read and they'll memorize it. They'll say, well, what about when this witness said that on, you know, the third episode of the disclosure? And it's like, wow, I can't believe the grasp you have over this case. And and they, they've spent most of their lives being treated like they were worthless, like they weren't intelligent, like they couldn't understand what was going on. And that's just not the case, right? And when you treat people like that, they're going to get hostile. And when you treat people with a level of respect that they deserve, you know, in that circumstance, regardless of what they've been charged with, regardless of what they've been convicted with, they're still people. And so if you treat me with respect, then you're going to get treated with that respect in turn. And there's not going to be a need to feel that threat or animosity between me and my client. Mm, mm. Do you feel like uh, the fact, I mean, going into your history now, I mean, you you grew up in and out of uh, foster homes. You know, you had a really tough upbringing. Um, you're you're a tough person, but I like it. You still got you still got that little smile. You know, you got that little heart. That's, <laughs> you got that you got that heart center that's that's still there. What what makes you like? What makes you tick? What makes Jordana tick? I, I, when I when I bring guests on to to my podcast, I think sometimes there's a lot of public information about them already that people can really go and watch your TED talk and really get a, a sense of that. But I, I think a, re, a a huge reason a lot of listeners listen to our show is that we we try to dig deep. 
you know, into how, who is this person? You know, all this glam and tattoos and that. When you go to bed at night or when you're about to, you know, lay in your bed, do you have like Winnie the Pooh beside you? Are you reading a book? <laughs> are, you, are you are you just a big kid at the end of the day? Like, what what is the sense of, of grounding? I mean, your work is so heavy in the sense of law and, you know, major crimes and, you know, just heavy life stuff. What is kind of that yin to the yang for you? Where do you where do you get that light? You know, kind of I'm still a person. I still cry. I still feel certain things. How do you keep that separation? Is it do you have any daily routines? Is it just the way you are? Is it, you know, close circles of friends? Just what what makes you tick and how do you keep it separate? So I'm a true Gemini. Uh oh. I, I really am. I am a true <laughs> Gemini. So it's not even about balance. It's not even about yin yang. It's like I absolutely have this fun, childish side to me where, you know, my favorite stress release is jumping on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean and just, you know, cruising around as fast as I can. And I, I always have that side to me where I just sort of want to be able to like go out and laugh and play. And I, I love humor. Like I need to be able to find humor in everything that I do. I feel like if we can't laugh throughout the day, then how do you get through the day? You know, you have to find a reason. Um, and so I have that part of my personality. And then I have the part of person my, uh, that part of my personality that you've sort of experienced throughout the week where I'm all business and I'm all work and, and I can't, you know, just like, chat at the end of the day because my day starts at about 7 a.m. and it ends at about 11 p.m. and I don't really have the space in between and so I stay like hyper focused Mm. Um, and so I stay that way for as long as possible and then usually it's three or four months and then I go on vacation and I take three or four days off five days off and I can just sort of relax and I can go and shop and I can go for great meals and drink and I'm not much of a club kid anymore I've I got too old for that, I guess. Um, what's your, but what's you know, your what's your drink? What do you drink? Uh, vodka soda is probably <laughs> my go-to. Just vodka um, soda. I'm, it's a, simple. I'm a sucker for Paloma, um, for sure. What kind of food so do you like? On, what kind of food do you uh, die for? Steak. Just ste- straight up steak, simple. eh? Steak, steak and salad is probably my favorite meal. You take me out to a restaurant, but I don't know how simple it is. I want a Wagyu beef that's flown in that day from Japan. So, so I'm pretty specific on it. <laughs> uh, but I, I, lo- I love a good steak. I love sushi. Um, but I try to eat as healthy as possible. I think it's harder to stay lean the older that we get. I've been into bodybuilding, CrossFit, powerlifting for the last 16, 17 years now. Uh, I blew my back out a few years ago and had to recover from that. And I'm finally back at the gym. That's a huge source of stress release for me. I need to be in the gym four to five days a week to be like a functioning human being because that's where all the all the stress of, that everyone else has sort of put on me comes out. You know, I take in my clients' cases. I do. I, I probably take them more seriously or more personally, I should say, uh, than is healthy. But I, I feel like that's what makes me a better, different lawyer than average, right? And so I got I, I need somewhere to go and alleviate that. And, and that for me has always been the gym. Uh, that's always been my favorite stress release. And, uh, and as my Instagram page certainly shows, I, I like to go to the shooting range. Yeah. And that that's where my balance comes from. So everything I do at work is very intellectual. Everything I do at the gym is all power and endurance and strength. And then I go to the range and it's none of those things. You don't have to be smart to shoot a gun. You don't have to be strong to shoot a gun. You have to be focused. 
like really focused and you have to stay perfectly still and really all you're doing is the slightest movement of your index finger that's all it takes right and and as slow as possible in order to be accurate and so it's the exact opposite of what i do at work and what i do at the gym and and so that trilogy for me is sort of where i get my balance and and stay grounded what are your friends what does your close circle look to you for other than legal advice obviously what do they what do they look to you when when, when if i ask you know five of your closest people you know what does jordana mean to you and not not these I mean, if you haven't, if you need another book to read, read Robert Greene, The Laws of Human Nature, because he talks a lot about envy. He talks about, you know, envy that's concealed amongst. Usually you have a couple friends in your circle that are like, so happy for you. And then in the backdrop, eh, I don't know, could be perceived happiness on their part. But your yeah. true friends, what would they say about you? What 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 does everybody look to you for? Are you the, are you the strong one that, you know, everybody kind of leans on? Are you the weak one that are, you're, you're going to everybody else? Like who is Jordana in your circle of friends? Because I always think, you, and I know you, and I know you're a Type A personality, and you like to battle in court, and you're strong and tough. But I'm like, ooh, it's got to be that flip switch. I got to see that Gemini come out. You know, I got to see that that other side. So the other side isn't so much emotional as it is sort of just playful, right? I don't have, I don't really get emotional <laughs> at all. Yeah. I don't, I don't. And those close to me know that as well. Now, I'm really sensitive and I can get hurt, but that gets sort of, I just withdraw, right? So if someone says something that's hurtful to me, I just withdraw from them. Because if you have it in you to hurt me, you can't be in my life. And, and, I'm, it's, and I think that as a result of spending so much time in my formative years, group homes, institutions, the streets, you know, people would come and go. Uh, it's sort of easy for me to walk away from someone that's hurt me. So that's, I can close that wall really quickly and just walk. And and I can shut that door permanently. Uh, sometimes my friends will say, listen, you got to squash that beef. I'm like, there is no beef. We're just done. There's no beef. Good for you. It's just, it's just over for me. So as soon as someone has the capacity to hurt me in a way that they would have known, right? I don't mean like accidentally. I mean, if, if you're talking shit about me behind my back and, and saying, you know, some horrible things about me, I've had that in recent years. If you're so jealous of me that you can't even commend me on a success, uh, I don't have a place for you. Mm. My friends go to me as the voice of reason because mm. when they're going through something that's emotional or difficult, they know that I can listen to it and we can try to break it down logically and try to find a solution. That's, that's the way I approach situations in my life. Mm. You know, if something's upsetting, if there's been some sort of turmoil, it's okay, let's figure out what we do. I want to find the solution to this. Mm. Uh, so I'm not the one that they call for, you know, a shoulder to cry on per se. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not so good with that, but I'm the one you call when it's like, oh my God, my world's just exploded. How, what do I do? How do I fix this? Uh, can you help me, you know, get to the resources I need to make this better? And, and that's what I do. I, I guess I'm the fixer, my voice of reason and a fixer. You're the, the fixer. So <laughs> yeah. you, because as I've been talking to you through all this, you do a really good job. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, I find people very strong for this. You, you, you can compartmentalize quite well. It's, it's kind of like you're sitting in your chair right now and you got, you know, five different compartments in your life and you're, you're quarterbacking all of them, right? If something sneaks up behind you, how would that make you feel? In terms of what? Give me an example. Just anything. So if you're looking at me and there's, you know, four other buckets in front of me and but then somebody something comes up behind you. Are you somebody that you 
because you you keep control of everything quite well. Like you compartmentalize right. your thoughts. You have you know your work is one thing, your personal is one thing. How would that feel if something just kind of came out of nowhere? Are you somebody that reacts to it, or are you somebody that just kind of is like, okay, that's different? Are you somebody that and not not necessarily it doesn't have to be bad or good, just something, right. uh, but something that was unforeseen? Are you somebody that reacts quite well? Or are you somebody that just kind of like, okay, I didn't see that coming, or like how how does that feel for you? Because I like to ask that question because a lot of people that think like you. You're very, very, you just said a hyper, hyper focused, right? And sometimes when something comes from the side, you're like, holy, I didn't, like, I didn't see that coming. How do you react? So, I mean, I guess it's like taking a punch to the face, right? You take a second to let it absorb <laughs> and then you gotta, you gotta fight back, right? That yeah. punch to the face can't be the knockout. It's, yeah. it's gotta be what you come swinging out in a different way. And so I try to take a minute before I react. I, I, I can be really explosive in my reactions when something happens, you know, if I'm in court and someone says something, I'm like quick to respond. I'm learning <laughs> to take a second and say, wait, let's think about how we're going to deal with this and execute a plan to make this fit in. And so if it's a matter of something that isn't necessarily doesn't belong in one of my compartments, maybe I just have to create a new compartment. Maybe I have to find a way to deal with the situation that it works with something else in another compartment. I don't know yet, but I need a strategy to deal with it for sure. Who judges, who judges the judge? I mean, the strategy, it's interesting, right? Cause you're learning too, but your whole thing is who judges the judge. Your whole mandate is trying to educate people on basically, you know, the law and the prosecution and the process. How, what is your goal for this? I mean, you've, I don't know you. I mean, I literally reached out to you after I think the third or fourth time I see you come down the Instagram and I'm like, who is this person? Oh, you know, one thing I, I remember that I remember what really locked me into you was the whole Bruce MacArthur case because you went on TV and were giving some commentary regarding that. I, I right. find this I find serial killers too. This is I've been like this since I was a kid. True crime is absolutely fascinating because there's some right. people that and, they, and they, they have this ability just to blend in like incognito. And I, I find that I'm like, what, how does that work? Anyways, what about <laughs> you and your what is your crusade and for people who are are listening what is your mandate what is your crusade and what is your whole goal with finally saying i'm going to use social media to kind of push myself out there i'm going to talk about things that you know maybe aren't the easiest subjects to talk about um i've seen comments on some of your ads and sponsored posts that are just brutal you know you've had families come in that have basically said well you know for lack of better words thanks for defending somebody who would basically murder our kids it's an uneducated thing to say, but they're coming from a place of feeling. So, I, you know, I'm empathetic. What is your whole take on all that? And and what is what what's the goal here? What's the play? What is, what is the Jordana? What's the gold list special on this? OK, <laughs> I need to know the gold list special. So so who judges the judge is about opening people's eyes to the fact that we cannot judge someone for the worst decision they made on the worst day of their life without considering who they are as people. Mm. And maybe at the end of that assessment, we find this is someone who doesn't deserve a second chance, who doesn't deserve our help, who should be behind bars for the rest of their life. Maybe, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe what we have is someone who just made a horrific decision from a set of circumstances, environmental factors that paved the way to that horrible decision and it's not taking away from the fact that they made a bad decision, but let them pay their price and try to live a pro-social life. Mm -hmm. What we do as the criminal justice system is take someone on their worst day and the worst decision they made on their worst day and say, you 
forever be judged from that decision. And you don't get any second chances. You don't get the opportunity to have gainful employment. You don't have the opportunity to have, you know, a life where you get to prove that you're not that person. Right. And at the end of the day, if you have that opportunity and you prove that you are that horrible person, that's on you. Right. There are people. And, you know, that's the thing. I'm not suggesting that anyone who's been considered a criminal is a good person and we should just let them out and run around in society at, at all costs. It's a matter of assessing things on an individual basis. And what we often do is we're sending people to jail that are drug addicts who are just, you know, struggling within their addiction, people who suffer from serious mental health issues kids that are coming up in situations of poverty without you know the benefits of having a father figure or an older brother that points them in the direction of you know sports or academia and instead what they have is local gang members that are taking them in and mentoring them and so we can't be surprised when a kid coming up from that circumstance ends up getting caught you know in his early 20s with a gun committing a robbery selling drugs but you know when that kid is 28 or 32 or you know 35 and says i am done with this life i want to stop this i want to live a decent life and have a family and kids and work there needs to be the ability for this person to make that change and prove themselves and so who judges the judge is about all of us but it starts with the criminal justice system saying that someone's title is not necessarily indicative of their character mm. right if not all judges are good people and not all criminals are bad people. We have to take a minute to find out someone's story and figure out whether or not those titles and that level of respect is befitting of the person. Mm -hmm. And so my hope ultimately is to be able to have a shift in the way we think about the titles we assign to people. Mm -hmm. I like that. No, I like that. I watch your TED talk. Are you, would you say you're somebody who's a naturally gifted public speaker or it's, some, it's something that you really got to work for, you get nervous about? Is it something that's out of your comfort zone or, or within your, your normal skill set, would you say? So I think it's something that I had to work on, um, but I've been working on it for a long time. I started doing youth outreach when I was 20. So when I started coming off the streets, I found myself volunteering at uh, the YMCA Youth Substance Abuse Program. And I was going in to speak to kids that were you know, in school and I was talking to groups of maybe 20 to 30, sometimes 40 people. And at first it was nerve wracking and then I got more and more comfortable with it. And then the groups got bigger and I started doing groups of you know, 80 to 100 people. And so I got comfortable that way. Uh, I stopped doing that work when I was in law school. I retreated a little bit. And then, and then I had to get used to speaking in the courtrooms, right? And there's all kinds of people around. And so you start with small matters and eventually the courtrooms get bigger and your matters get more serious. And so I guess it's over time that I've become more comfortable uh, in making arguments and being public about it. I was super nervous to do the TEDx talk. That was like <laughs> a whole different level. And it's funny because most people around me said, well, you're a lawyer, you speak to people all day. And it's like, yeah, I speak to a judge or I speak to 12 jurors. I don't speak to you know a few hundred people in an auditorium. I had never done anything of that caliber, uh, so I was really nervous. And I practiced, and I had I had written my speak you know well in advance, and I was confident in the message that I was trying to deliver. And that certainly made it easier for me to to actually deliver and go through. Um, I don't know if that makes it natural or not, but I just felt that it was this opportunity that I had to deliver what I see as an important message in a platform that has the ability to reach, you know, hundreds, thousands, potentially millions, if it makes it to TED.com. 
Uh, and so really I, I wanted to take advantage of that platform and I wasn't going to let any fear of public speaking get in the way. So with your brand, I mean, your Jordana Goldless criminal lawyer brand, the, 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 the catchphrase is super, super, you know, cool. Who judges the judge? I think a lot of people like that. I, I love that. What is your goal with Thanks. your brand? What is your goal with your brand going forward? I mean, especially from the business marketing side, it's really interesting how the world works because back in the day, you know, lawyers and doctors, you know, it's like, well, the patients are just going to fly in and the clients are just going to fly <laughs> in. And times have changed now where it's not like that. A, you know, a dentist that is, opens up a practice actually has to market now. And that, you know, right. their dad or granddad never used to have to do that. I mean, they were one of the only dentists in, I don't know, 30 kilometer radius and now you could see right. you know 10 dentists so for you not only are you a lawyer that's the service you provide but now you have you wrap a whole business around that which has you know everything to do with the service but you know marketing business development branding all these where is your brand and i don't you know i'll ask where do you want your brand to be in the next you know 12 months next year what is what is the goal for this are you wanting to be one of those kind of like you know maybe podcast personality attached to the lawyer you know what i mean where somebody's like okay she's a lawyer but you're like you know cnn going on commentary you know you're kind of like their exquisite lawyer that comes on and talks about all the crazy cases is that where you want to go with things so i i came from a, a generation of lawyers that were of the belief that if you do good work the clients will come yeah and for the most part, that's been true. I built up a massive practice without any marketing, without any website, without any catchphrase. I just did good work. I worked really hard and I developed a reputation. I built up a clientele and that's been fantastic. Uh, the marketing side of things has allowed me to sort of refine the client base that I have and give everyone a focus. And certainly in the last five years, you know, you hear the name of someone that you think about hiring, the first thing you do is Google them. And so I wanted to make sure that when you Google me, you are coming into contact with different uh, forms of media that are representative of the person that I am. Mm. I really want to push my brand to do more of these speaks, to do more podcasts, to appear more on television and to give my commentary because that's the only way that this whole concept of not judging people by their titles is going to spread. And it's an idea that needs to spread, right? It, people need to start thinking about that so that maybe next time they get you know, a resume from someone who is phenomenally qualified. They're not going to discount that person by virtue of the fact they have an, you know, a conviction for armed robbery, for example. And they're gonna look at this person as being someone who is hardworking, prepared to overcome adversity. So I, I do want to be able to spread that message. This is an idea that I want to keep generating. Uh, the TEDx talk really did an amazing job of sort of sending that message out to the universe and the momentum that's generated from it has been phenomenal. And so, I just want to keep pushing on that momentum. That's really the goal of the brand right now. Do you think that, uh, is it, because it, it's you, you're kind of doing everything in your practice right now, right? You said you're preparing your cases. You're also pushing your cases out. Do you want to have, you know, other lawyers that are involved? Do you want to grow this, you know, crazy practice? Or do you really, do you just kind of want to hey, say, hey, I just want to brand myself and kind of, you know, have that boutique experience? So I have two associates on contract and then I have an associate who's going to start under my employment uh, in two weeks, actually. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a one person show to deal with all aspects. What I do is when I get cases in, I assess how serious they are. I assess how complicated they are. I speak with the client about their needs and then I figure out which associate the case is going to go to or I'm going to keep it myself. 
And so my practice right now is uh, murder, guns, and drugs. And then most of the, <laughs> yeah. things, most of the things go elsewhere, uh, yeah. depending on the case, again, and de- depending on, on what work needs to be done. I, I love preparing the cases. I love arguing the cases. I love going to court. Like the core of being a lawyer is something I'm not looking to shift off to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I would consider, you know, the type of growth that would maybe have me employing one other associate in a year's time after I've got this one sort of trained and, and ready to go. Um, but I don't ever see myself not running the cases, right? Mm-hmm. I don't ever see myself, you know, when people hire me, they want me to be the one making that argument to the jury, especially mm-hmm. when they're charged with murder. Uh, and that's something I love doing, right? It's, I'm, I've got, I've, gain this level of success by being passionate about what I actually do. And so I have a big case. I love it. I live it. I, the rest of my practice goes on hold and everyone knows that, you know, when I'm in a murder trial, I don't take on anything new. Um, I don't have much of a life other than the gym. It's just, my focus is really, it's, it's laser sharp on that one case. And I don't see myself changing that aspect. Even if I do, uh, spend more time on speaking engagements in order to advance this this concept of who judges the judge do you think do you think as a lawyer do you do you think you have to advertise or do you think that your clients there's just an abundance of marketplace for every lawyer that's out there i think it's really interesting because you know a lot of the listeners they're business minded to entrepreneurs and things like that and so people you know listen to the show they're still in their career phase where sometimes they're thinking, you know, or they're, you know, we get a lot of listeners that are, you know, 35, 40 years old saying, I hate what I'm doing. I want to actually try a different profession. Do you, right. do you feel you have to advertise as a lawyer now or you think there's plenty of pie to go around? So I think that the first thing you have to do is learn how to be a good lawyer. I think that there's a lot of young lawyers that are coming out of law school and they think they're good just by virtue of the fact that they graduated law school. And it's just not the case. It takes time and effort and practice. And so my recommendation for young lawyers is to go and join a firm or have a mentor or learn under a lawyer. Like you should not just be hanging your own shingle fresh out of law school. Because quite frankly, you don't know what you're doing and you don't have the time to put into doing the work that you need to do to become a really good lawyer. Mm. I think that you do generate business just by doing good work. I think that's still true. But more and more, you need that advertising and you need that social media presence because clients now are Googling you and it doesn't matter how old they are. Mm. I, you know, it, it's not just young kids that are on Instagram that are looking up who I am. It's, it's older clients, it's clients in the 30s, 40s and 50s that wanna understand who they're hiring. And so I think it's important to have an online presence. I think it's important to have a good network amongst your colleagues. Uh, you often get work that way. So young lawyers coming up, you know, I, I might get a case and it's not something that I can do. The client can't afford me. They want someone more junior. I'm going to call around a colleague and make sure that, that the client's still looked after, even if it isn't by me. And so it's important to have that network. Skill set and artistry in 2019 aren't enough anymore, to be honest. It's, it's no. interesting because even if you look in the medical field, you look at the best surgeon on, I don't know, ear, nose and throat. And it's the person who actually markets themselves better that's even charging more. Whereas Joe Blow down the street's probably a way better surgeon. But because he doesn't have that brand equity built into his name, I mean, the, the, the reality is your name, your name is going to dictate how much you charge per hour. And that is the reality. And if people think, man, Jordana, she's the best. 
seeing her oh my god look at her social media your whole brand goes in perpetuity which is huge right so for you i i i i i think you're kind of in a sweet spot there but it's interesting how a lot of your colleagues and peers like the only criminal lawyers i see that really are advertising is like injury you know did you get in a car accident do you want to sue somebody (laughs) Like, I don't see, in Canada, I don't see a lot of criminal lawyers that are like, hey, and they're not, and if they are putting themselves out there, it's the most cheesiest, ridiculous, call one <laughs> you know, dude slicked back with his hair, and I'm like, I wouldn't trust, this guy's worse than, than, I don't want this guy <laughs> representing me. Like, you don't have any confidence there. You are taking a different spin. So, do you feel like you? you specifically can really make some waves there have you thought about that at all have you kind of thought about where your industry's at what what the expectation is of your you know future younger client slash older client too certainly i mean it takes being a really good lawyer first because yes someone can come to me and i can charge them x amount to go and do their trial and you know they see all my instagram pages and they think oh yeah okay that's what i have to pay to get here but if i walk into the courtroom and i don't know what i'm doing and I got a judge that's calling me out and my cross-examination's flopped, they're gonna go back and tell all their friends, I don't know what I paid for, this is ridiculous. This woman's horrible. Advertising is for nothing if you can't follow it up with the work that you're going to do. And so I spent the first, I spent the first five years not advertising at all, not putting myself out on the media, just learning how to be a good lawyer and a good criminal lawyer and building up a decent network. And then when I went out on my own, when I wasn't working for a firm anymore, I understood and appreciated the value of having a good website and good connections. And then I started, you know, writing articles with Advocate Daily, which is like a lawyer based news program and and making sure that my opinion on certain issues was well represented so that when someone had, you know, a related issue, they could find my opinion. And if it jived with what they had to say, they would come to me because at the end of the day, I'm using social media to draw the type of clients I want. I don't take on every type of work. You call me right now with an impaired driving case and tell you, I'm sorry, I can't help you. It's not the work that I do, right? It's too technical. I don't enjoy it. And they should be serviced by someone who does, you know, impaired driving on a regular basis. Um, I don't represent people charged with sex assaults. I don't represent people charged with child porn. It's just not my practice. And so I made sure that I'm marketing to the type of clientele that I want to be representing. Mm. And, you know, it's funny, you mentioned earlier on the CBC article, the CBC interview that I was doing and my appearances on the show to talk about Bruce MacArthur, the CBC director that found me, the producer that found me did so through one of these articles with Advocate Daily, where I was talking about, you know, sometimes the value of being able to negotiate a plea on really serious charges. I had a client that was arrested for murder, charged with accessory after the fact to murder. And I ended up negotiating a plea for an obstruct justice for one year. And so he went from being arrested for something that potentially had a life sentence attached to it to being released, you know, on time served after a year in jail. And so it was a really fantastic result for him. But that's how CBC found me. It was just from the work that I was doing and the advertising that I was doing. And so it's opened up doors that aren't just about client intake. It's opened up doors that have put me you know, in positions to be able to be more uh, accessible to other people. And that in turn, of course, will build a business. Mm. And so it's about understanding and appreciating that whole backdrop to gaining more business. It can't just be about, you know, handing out business cards anymore. Since you're not emotional and you're a self-proclaimed non-emotional person, 
<laughs> how do you how do you feel about a lot of these social campaigns that you see going on, like the Me Too movements? You see the Black Lives Matter movements. You see, you know, the world the world is coming out with almost anything now. You know, everybody, you know, even me, if I talk to somebody, I got to, I'm going down the checklist in my head. I'm like, better make sure I didn't say that. Better make sure, you know, because right. people are so on these social, you know, movements. Are you somebody that gets hyped into that? Are you somebody that's like, like I think about the Me Too movement and, you know, even from the female perspective, you're somebody that's gangster, man. You've been, you're rocking the tattoos. You got the guns with the heels. You're on a different level of like, you know, your equality is it is it something that you pay attention to or you're just too focused on your porsche your pool table and getting your clients a great defense like do you keep life simple or do you get you know do you get drawn into the scroll effect do you ever find yourself scrolling where you're like geez i've been on my this instagram way too long no and by, and I, you are I on instagram quite a, quite a while because sometimes yeah. I log in, I'm like, it says you're active. I'm like, oh, she's always on there, though. And unless you got I, your phone open. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I keep it open. And I also have um, a social media manager that helps okay. me stay active yep. on Instagram. Yep. Um, especially while I'm in court. So I am, uh, I am someone who thinks that we are shifting the pendulum way too far in the opposite direction. And it will eventually do society a disservice by all of these movements. Mm. I, you know, it's funny, I speak with some of uh, my female friends and, and we talk about how sad it is for men who approach us to say before or after a compliment, I hope I'm not offending you. That's sad. sad. That's a sad statement on society that a man thinks I might be offended by a compliment. Where are we going as a society when a man can't compliment a woman? And, you know, we're mixing up compliment with harassment and then harassment to sex assault. And it's just, we're compounding all of these separate issues and they really are separate. And so I do not jump on these movements at all. You will never see a Me Too hashtag attached to any of my tweets or or Instagram posts. I can assure you that. Um, I just think that, you know, yes, we have to put our foot down and say that women should not be sexually assaulted and no, they shouldn't, you know, be forced to perform sexual acts in order to get the job that they want. That's, you know, a, a no brainer. But when we carry that, that belief into a movement and that movement translates to such a, a degree that a man has to say, I hope I'm not offending you, but you look really nice today. Like, where are we going? Where are we going with this? What are we doing to the male population? Mm. You know, I have I have friends that have, you know, young teenage boys as sons, you know, kids in their in their teens and twenties. And it's a scary world, man. We're we're telling them, listen, if you're gonna have sex with a woman, you videotape it, you videotape her consent, you videotape that she is sober before you're gonna have sex with her, because that's the only way you can protect yourself. And that's a sad state of the world when a man can't, you know, have an intimate moment with a woman without worrying that the next day he's going to have the police knocking on his door because she wakes up with buyer's remorse. Mm, 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 mm. This might be the clip of the podcast. Go a completely different direction. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, it's it's. I'm I I I I kind of cut through the, all the crap. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you know, from the male perspective, you look at some of the females and you're like, well, what are you doing here? Like, I get it, you know, because there's 
I think the big, biggest thing that upsets me the most is the the the, the, the females that have valid points. I feel like right. there's all this noise that's actually taking away from the validity of the people that actually have points. And even when you talk to some of them, they're like, I, I, I wanted to express what happened to me so it created awareness. I didn't want it to go to this place where it was becoming, I don't want to say ridiculous, but it's it almost takes like, it almost takes the stigma off of it. Like you're, you're seeing like as, as a guy, you see these posts and it, it's like, I feel bad for them, but you're seeing so much of it now. It's taking away from the emotional impact of it. If it makes sense. Right. Cause you're starting to question like, what's the full story behind this claim. And you know, it just doesn't make any sense that way. I like that. I like that. You said that, um, the videotaping with the kids, man, I mean, that could be a crime in itself. Jordan, you got to watch, right? Can, <laughs> videotape consent. What? I don't know. To videotape a woman giving her consent, we're not. I'm not. I'm not advocating anything behind a woman's back. I'm yeah. saying, you know, we're telling these kids. Listen, you want to text a woman? You videotape her saying, "I am sober. I am consenting to conceptual activity. It's going to happen right now, right?" And that's that's. I don't know what else a guy can do to protect himself now with the amount of, of claims that are being made uh, in circumstances that aren't actually assaulted is there a question you wish people would ask you jordana of all the you know you've done some interviews and stuff like that and you know is there anything that you'd like to say that you feel like man people don't ask me this question i would love to give an answer to this question but nobody ever asked me this question in general you know i'm just digging here i'm poking around your brain like i'm looking at your eyes i'm trying to go around your head because you're you're so you're very witty, you know, and you're you're super smart, and you make eye contact. That's great. Everybody listening, when you see the video, she makes the most amazing eye contact. So it's almost like <laughs> you're you're almost like you're, you're not a mom, but man, you could do the mom look. You got that like. Are you telling me the truth right here? Are you telling? So, but but seriously, because I like to ask people when I talk to them. My whole mandate for the podcast is curiosity, and it's you know it's educating people on business and on marketing, but also life and. And really, you know, having people listen and say, man, she looks really refined. She's at a great state of her life. But it's important for people to understand that, yo, this took work. I mean, where you are right now took, you know, a lot of tears, a lot of crying, pain. You know, it's been a long journey for you. There's no way I could ever encapsulate this in 60 minutes. But it's, it's. I think we can do a good job of kind of getting the point across. So is there anything that you would like to say or anything that you'd like to add? I mean, I think that is an important point that people don't realize or or don't take stock of, you know, where I am today took at least 15 years for me to get to, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't without a whole heap of insecurity and questioning and what am I doing and why am I doing this? And, you know, law school was rough for me internally, even though I'm sure I hid that from everyone around me, but I was struggling inside to figure out where my place was and what I was gonna do. and sort of just tip my head down and uh, and it was hard and it was isolating. You know, I think that people don't realize how much I work to have what I have today and how hard I work and the hours that I put in, uh, mostly solo, right? When I'm working on a case, I'm on my own. When I'm running around to court, I'm on my own. Um, and I find that a lot of young lawyers and, and young entrepreneurs don't realize the need to sacrifice or they don't appreciate the sacrifice. Mm. You know, I have a lot of people that come to me today and the worst thing that I hear is, oh, you're so lucky. Or, you know, they see me with a new, they see me with a new pair of shoes or a new person. It's, oh, it must be nice. Dude, I worked 15 years to get this and 
and I average 80 hours a week and I put that work in and I sacrifice in order to have this and I save in order to have a future right and and I have that you know for investments and whatever and you know pension plans and things that I need I've done everything with a plan and, and pe- a lot of people don't have a plan and they're just out there and they're living day to day you know you spoke earlier on about those people that live paycheck to paycheck and I see it so often and it's like you need a plan not just for what you're gonna do in the next month or year but like where do you want to be in 20 years what do you want to have what do you want life to look like and then you got to figure out what life has to be like in 10 years to reach that 20 year goal and then you back that up to 15 years you know i sat down and i've got a whiteboard with where i need to be over the next five years and then 10 15 and 20 years so that i can have what i want and will i refine those dreams i'm sure i will i'll add to them i'll change them along the way but you know that laser sharp focus is also with a view to what my goals are going to be and that just it takes sacrifice there are things that i miss out on along the way and i'm glad i did but people don't understand the need to sacrifice anymore and it's real how many people impact you along your journey though like in your in your discussions i, I call these these micro moment commitments the average person i talk to sucks that's the truth you know <laughs> m- most of the people i talk to throughout the day they're terrible they right. They're they're caught they're either caught up in their own you know victimization or they're caught up because their mom and dad didn't do something when they were 16 and now they're 33 and there's always you know or they're you know saying things like you're lucky you know I mean I, I find the average person is it, it dissatisfies me it's not that beef and lettuce that you want you know your specific kind of beef it takes yeah. me years before I find a specific kind of beef. And there's the odd person I talk to, and I'm like, no, I get a good vibe from this person. I'm very vibe. I'm very, I go with my gut because I've never really been wrong, you know? And if I have to sell too much or I feel like I have to sell this person to myself too much, it's usually a red flag for me because I'm like, this right. is just not the. Do you meet, do you have the fortune of meeting a lot of people that you're like, man, I love the vibe? Like, I, we get along. Or are you kind of like, no, like it, it takes some time or it's just business or it's just, you know, no. Like, who, who is that for you in your day to day life when you're having all your micro interactions with people? So I have a handful of people that I've collected over the years, some over the decades where you just meet someone and you click and you can go years without talking to that person Uh. and then you reconnect. And it's like, you know, one of my closest friends, uh, we met in a detox center when I was 18 years old. And to this day, she's my best friend. She is a rock in my life and and it's mutual you know we can go years without seeing each other someone needs something we pick up the phone and we call and we're always there and it's like she's given me some of the best advice in my life uh and i'm I'm pretty sure that feeling's mutual but she has thrown out one-liners to me that when i'm in a bind i think about them and i'm just Mm. like yeah you know what damn that's that's so right Mm. and so so she's one of my best friends. Uh, my cousin who's also a friend and a colleague and you know, she's someone that I, I speak to on a daily basis that I know is always gonna be there to help me navigate certain situations. Mm. And so I have a couple of people like that, maybe four or five, there's not many. I don't think there's many that you connect with in a way that you get to have this reciprocal energy where you're giving and giving and they're giving back to you and you just, you further each other. I find that most people that I meet try to suck that out of you. How big do, How big of a role does your significant other play in your life and in your base? 
That's my rock. That's you know that's uh it's it's amazing. It's when I doubt myself. Yeah. Um that's that's where I get that push from. Yeah. And There's, you know th- they, that's that's who I rely on at the end of the day where I can curl up and be a kid. Yeah. And it's to no one else. And I can tell you it took like months of chipping away at me to get to that point. And uh and we're at a point now when I've had a, a bad day I don't have to say anything. I just have to curl up and I get I get that attention that I need in ways that no one else can give it to me. You know what I think about you? I think you're I think you're unpredictable to normal people, but I think you're predictable That's- to weird people. I think you're predictable. <laughs> I think you're predictable to weird and abnormal people. I am weird and abnormal. I'm very self-aware of myself. But right. I, I see the I see the chip. That's why when I send a text, I'm like, yeah, you know, because I I think people te- even texting. I got I got beef with texting and even comments. I get so many comments and messages on Instagram and social media. You know, and these you could just tell. Like, but when somebody takes the time. I mean, there's something to be said now, I think, with technology. Number one is somebody ever picks up the phone and just says hello? Oh my God. Like you're you've right. you've have risen above like 98% of my interactions throughout the day because nobody really does that anymore. But right. it's it's in how you text and it's in how it's just the extra thoughts. And it my biggest thing is is when it's somebody genuinely messaging and saying, How are you? with no ask. Cause I'm waiting for the ask now. Somebody's like, hey, Ryan, how's it going? I'm like, no, no, this is something there. What do you There's want? What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? It's coming. But when right. it's like, no, man, I was just checking in. haven't heard from you, you know, a few weeks, months, whatever. How's everything going? Man, it's the best thing ever because I, I, I feel like, and I'm a digital guy. I'm a marketer. I mean, I love it, man. I could not do anything what I'm doing right now if it wasn't for the internet. Fact. But I love, I, I think humans right now, we're craving a lot of humanity. I mean, that, that human to human touch it just cannot be replicated. And as much as everybody loves the, you know, AI, the artificial intelligence, there's no. certain things, man. It's just you, no, need the human. <laughs> you need the you need the human, you know. You do. You right? need that genuine, and that's why I'm someone who wants to make eye contact, right? Yes. I, uh, you you read someone through their eyes. You can tell when someone's fake. You can tell when someone doesn't really have your full attention. You can you can see it. And that to me is where you connect and you have that exchange of energy that you need in order to carry on, you know, a proper discussion, a proper comment. Absolutely. So no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, your time is valuable. Um, I wonder what, what would the invoice be? How many minutes are we at? Do you have one of those softwares at your office <laughs> that they call you got a doc to the second? <laughs> you see how she laughs? That's the hus- that's the hustler laugh right there. She's like, uh, 80, 86 minutes? Hmm, let me see. Uh, <laughs> um, Jordana, tell everybody how they can reach out to you. What's your deal? What's your spiel? And, uh, and where are you based? Are you based in Miami too, or you just go there? No, I just go there because Toronto there. winters are not fun. Yeah. Um, so uh, Miami for me is one of those perfect spots because it's only a three-hour flight and I keep working. So my office phone gets forwarded to my my cell phone oh, okay, and I yeah. just I keep going. I don't I don't d- disconnect. Um, anyone looking to reach out and connect with me can do so most easily on my website. All of my means of communication and social media are there. It's jhgcriminallaw.com. Uh, there's a contact page with phone number, mailing address, and uh, links to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, if I ever get any kind of bad case and I'm holding wood because I'm a great guy, I hope I never did need you. I hope you give me a discount. 
We'll talk about it. We'll trade services. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out a barter system. <laughs>